You are listening to The Andrew Miller Show. This episode was recorded when the show had a different name. Same show otherwise. Anyway, enjoy. Welcome to Actively Aware. I'm your host, Andrew. This episode, we talk with Cassandra Martineau, who's running for U.S. House of Representatives, representing Connecticut's second congressional district. Connecticut's second congressional district is all of Eastern Connecticut, top to bottom. Cassandra is a lifelong social justice activist and executive officer in the Wyndham Willimantic NAACP and founder of Willimantic Rainbow Connection, an LGBTQ plus group. Currently serves on Wyndham's Zoning Board of Appeals and has 15 years of public school experience. You can learn more about Cassandra's campaign at CAS for Congress dot rocks. C-A-S-S, the number four, Congress dot rocks, R-O-C-K-S. In the meantime, let's hear what she has to say. Uh, thank you, Cassandra Martineau, for joining us on Actively Aware. You're running for Congress, U.S. House of Representatives, and Connecticut's 2nd District, correct? Yes, I am. Excellent. Very eager to be doing so. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, how many districts does Connecticut have? Uh, we have five districts at oh, okay. current, um, and 2nd District is the largest. It's It's almost everything east of the river, essentially. Um, which is part of the joy of being out here and part of the challenge. Um, we're a much more rural part of the state and, you know, we're a lot more spread out. So, um, you know, organizing has its challenges there, but, you know, we all appreciate the unique character that we have out here. Great. Um, That's great. And I also understand that Connecticut is a leading state in reducing greenhouse gases. Now, now, of course, that's a good record to have. Do you find your opponents to be a threat to that or a threat in reversing uh, I, I, that trend or a threat to that nationwide? I, I feel statewide. Um, this is one thing I will say I approve of government, Governor Lamont and, and some things that have been done on the state level regarding renewable levels, uh, renewable energy. Connecticut is fairly much in advance as far as that goes. Um, you know, I've worked with, you know, connect, I understand uh, Connecticut jobs and energy roundtable, um, you know, is trying to do it with a business oriented. However, on the national level, I feel like so many of our representatives are so absolutely corporate based that there's really little movement to be had. Much of the Democratic Party um, is run by big boy oil and big corporations and that, that comes out. Um, we see on the national level, they're giving, you know, trillions away to oil subsidies and big oil and all that. And, you know, little tiny ridiculous stipends to renewable energy. And they're calling that climate change reduction. Um, it isn't. Nuclear energy is not climate change reduction. It's got, you know, we need to be putting our money into solar, into offshore wind, um, different different solutions for different areas. And I would love to see the federal government start to actually take a lead on this rather than falling behind. Um, we've got something like, you know, 
if, if we keep going the way we're going by the end of the century, I mean, there, there might, the, the planet might not even be habitable for humans, Never mind, you know, just making it inhabitable to, to um, civilization as a whole. And this is a threat that we're, you know, at the national level especially, um, politicians are not taking that seriously. Um, I'm not seeing it in the presidential debates. I'm not seeing anybody talk about it. And yet this is a life and death critical issue. Uh, we need to get a hold of our carbon usage and we need to do it you know, rapidly. We can't, we do not have the time for incremental solutions that keep the corporations happy and profitable. Um, we need to make solutions that are people oriented. Um, I believe that we should be working on a, a Green New Deal, but with a local fl flavor, especially right now, um, the United States gets a lot of its solar and wind from China and Germany. Um, I think it'd be better for our economy in general um, that we start producing all of this locally. And, you know, I believe in local control and local control of the energy systems. I know, I believe Norwich down here has their own um, town um, energy and it's one of the only places that does and it keeps rates low when people are mm -hmm. in control of it and the motive is not profit you know we can do these things um, if there's a profit motive it's always going to go to profit first um, so i would like to see you know we can have jobs we can have a cleaner environment we can have an individual characteristic and and frankly local control which gives more power, less power to any individual party, less power to any individual corporation, but a lot more power to each of us individually. And I'm hoping that's a message that would resonate for, you know, more conservative voters as well as, you know, quote unquote, liberal voters out here in second district. We really appreciate being in the quiet corner and having all our natural resources and our forests and fields and, areas and we greatly value our independence as well and i believe doing this and and giving control more and more to local governments but with federal assistance can help empower people the closer you bring any source of power down to local the more empowered people are and, and basically across all my issues that's where i stand democratization of the economy democratization of power small d democracy um, you know, some might call me a downright socialist. I would accept that, um, basically because I believe that, you know, any of the systems that we have should be working for human need first, not profit and corporate need and greed. Um, so that's one of the major um, themes of my campaign. Yeah, excellent. And I'm glad uh, you mentioned uh, locally on taking care of, of renewable energy and even just environmental issues. Cause I know on the national level, you know, a lot of people may think eh, environmentalism, it's all, you know, it's hippie stuff, you know, and not everybody cares about rivers and streams that, that are, that are thousands of miles away that they'll never see. Not everybody, you know, takes the whole global warming or climate change thing seriously. Some call it a hoax as we all know, but when it comes to the local level, when it comes to small towns, even, where I live in New Jersey, northern New Jersey, where they're clustered together, anytime there's like where to build a certain plant or where to build something that could cause some type of pollution of some kind, it all of a sudden, all that partisan stuff and all that 
ideological labeling goes out the window. All of a sudden, everyone's an environmentalist. All of a sudden, everyone, don't matter, you could have a town full of Trump lawn signs and a Republican mayor, and they're still going to stand against building something in town that's going to that's going to pollute the air or the result of which is that they yeah. end up getting in placed in towns that are poorer that have fewer resources that cannot resist that tug of corporate money despite the mm. pollution despite the increases of asthma and cancer around these areas um, despite everything else um, poor people have and poor communities have less power and so end up getting the well short end of the stick as it were you know when it comes to these polluting entities um, that's, you know, one of the big issues actually that is not talked about. Um, I'm an executive officer of the NAACP. Um, environmental issues are becoming a real important uh, factor in that organization as well, just because of the impact on lower income and minority people, you know, as far as you know, where these stations often get placed. Um, mm. Cleaner energy and more local energy. One of the problems is in Connecticut, at least, is not just production of energy, but it's distribution. And we've got a lot of complicated, you know, back and forth trying to get, you know, the energy to the people who need it. Um, making that control more local would not only give people more control over their own energy and their own lives, but it also helps reduce some of those problems, you know, of distribution. Um, reduce, you know, like we just had in here where, you know, again, a major power outage, and some people are getting their power restored right away and some people are waiting like a week or so and you know eversource just wants to raise the rates no matter what and it's you know it's all out of control and you know the corporations are taking the profit but not the responsibility i believe you know the more we can bring that you know the closer local we can bring that the more local control that citizens will have and the more individual voices will have a say in these matters um, so that we can do it. Yeah, you know, you might not care about a river a hundred or a thousand miles away, but you care about your own backyard. Exactly. Um, second district, you know, we've got a beautiful backyard out here and, you know, you know, as well as hunters and fishers and other people who enjoy the environment, you know, I think there's a lot of people directly in there. Um, but as well as that, it's just a matter of getting that control down. Um, you know, you might not care about a river a thousand miles away. Do you care about the hurricane bearing down um, on your town? Do you care about the increased tornadoes? Do you care about, you know, the serious windstorms we've been getting? Do you care about the different patterns of, you know, incredible rainfall and drought in the summer that we've been having that either leads to blight from too much mold or just, you know, other things in, in a very agricultural, you know, drought and other problems in an agricultural area. Um, I feel like these effects are starting to, you know, come to bear on us directly in a lot of ways, um, which probably means it's, we should have started a long time ago. Um, but yeah, it's a big, very big priority that unfortunately, far too few, few people are talking about. There's a lot of good environmental and you know, groups and such, but um, not a lot of politicians are really giving it much credence. And that's a really major issue. This is. is a quality of life, life and death issue that nobody wants to talk about. I believe I blame corporate um, money, corporate power and influence over uh, politics 
for that and many other things. Um, as a Green Party candidate, and personally, I will never take corporate money, PAC money, et cetera. I will be accountable to the voters who vote for me, um, no one else. Um, I do not believe corporations are people. This was one of the most criminal acts played upon uh, the US public and both parties seem to be well too entrenched in enjoying that idea. Um, and I don't believe we can ever have significant change while corporate power is ruling Washington. It is, and it's, and yeah, that corporate power, especially the fossil fuel industry, oil and gas, it, it's politicians, both Democrats and Republicans, like anyone who uh, does the research would find that who, who's a second place and take the second biggest a recipient of oil and gas money over their career in politics, Beto O'Rourke, who's second place to a Ted Cruz. Now I get that big oil is to uh, Texas politicians as big pharma is to New Jersey politicians, but yeah, it, I mean, the record speaks for itself. It shows who they're going to work for as opposed well, to us. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, you know, again, Joe Courtney is, you know, the Democratic candidate in second district. His two main contributors are, you know, electric boat. So he votes for any kind of budget that's got a submarine in it. Yes. We voted through Trump's budgets, you know, because it got a little military money for Connecticut. Connecticut's one of the most military high spending um, states there is. And Pfizer, who, you know, make sure um, when there was a call a few years ago in Congress, for single payer and you know there was many rising voices joe courtney himself led the opposition to it um, by proposing this uh, medicare over 50 or over 55 which would have you know again all been very much for profit um, it would have bloated out the budget um, unnecessarily and is a far cry from the single payer that so many people want and need and especially in the time of a pandemic you know to hear the Democrats saying, well, we'll never pass that. And it's like, you know, why? Yeah. <laughs> only because it's worked in every single country in the world. Um, yeah. Only because medical debt is crippling, you know, one of the most crippling debts that, you know, people in the U.S. have to face. You know, this is, it's, it's because of Pfizer, because where they get the money, they've got laps to sit on. And they, they are in no position to make any real changes that will upset their corporate owners. Um, it can't happen, as far as I'm concerned. And in my mind, this is why even during such partisan times as these, we really need to challenge the power of the Democratic Party. We do. Uh, my read of history is not that Democrats brought us the New Deal, not that civil they brought us civil rights, not that they brought us environmental laws in the 70s. It's that the communist, socialists, and trade unionists who, you know, were burning down the streets for 10 years before them forced them to do the New Deal to save capitalism. That black people for 15, 20 years, long before Selma, were marching in the streets and organizing for, you know, their own civil rights. And, you know, it's the, the Democrats aren't the saviors. They're the ones who came in after 10, 20 years of pressure and, you know, took it um, finally. Um, same thing with environmental laws. None of this is coming from the Democratic Party. It's all forced upon them from street action, from opposition, from actual challenges to their power. When their power is challenged, they are forced to respond. 
Until then, they will give us rhetoric. They will give us, you know, pennies on the dollar um, and other little games, but it's, it's, will never be any real change. And we are at a point in history when we need real change. Um, I'd like to represent that change. Excellent. Yeah, definitely. It's good that you're representing that change because, yeah, a lot of people think that, well, the Republicans are so evil, so wouldn't Democrats the way to go. But, but just now, just over what we were discussing, or if anyone goes to opensecrets.org and sees, you know, which politicians take money from who, you find more similarities between those two parties while finding way more differences between Greens and either one of those two. I, I, you know, and I'll, I'll take it a step further because Democrats love doing these dramatic things when they have no power and nothing will, will do. Um, when they have power, they don't pass anything. They had the Senate, the House, right. and the presidency for two years. We got ACA, which is this profit-ridden mess. Um, I guess Romney they helped care. people, which is great, but single pair was never on the, you know, nothing non-corporate, non-profit was ever on the table. Um, same thing with energy policy, same thing with everything else. Um, they love making promises and then, you know, they, they're there or, you know, they don't have both houses. So instead of fighting for it, you know, they just blame it all on Republicans and tell us to keep voting Democrat, even though the Democrats aren't you know, standing up and fighting. And I know some people will say, oh, well, what about AOC? What about Bernie? See the Democrats, but the Democratic Party is actively fighting these leaders in Congress and in the Senate. Um, you know, they, in a year when they said, no, we're not gonna have any, um, you know, primary runs against sitting Congress people because it's too dangerous and we need to keep the Congress. The Democratic Party themselves set out to do primary runs against like Ilan Omar and AOC and many of the other progressive people in there. Um, they tried to get them out and get corporate candidates in. So I think it's pretty shallow of them to say it and that these few voices actually exemplify just how corrupt the Democratic Party has come. Um, the main reason, my, I have <clears throat> three big foci for my campaign. Um, single payer would be one, um, getting the environment you know, prioritizing, you know, a real Green New Deal with zero emissions, defunding the military, um, and approaching income inequality and Wall Street control over, um, you know, our lives and, and politics in general. And the reason that I'm focusing on these three is that these are issues that are critically affecting everybody's everyday life, <clears throat> excuse me, um, in a really serious and major way. There are reforms that most people want, Democrats, Republicans, unaffiliated, all, and which neither of the parties are talking about. Um, Democrats, if you wanna differentiate yourselves from the Republicans, start taking up some real change. Don't just say you're not Trump. Running against somebody is just, it's pathetic and it's sad and it's weak and it's an excuse to do nothing. So it those is. are my three, three main issues. They're big issues that are, literally life and death issues for so many people and and issues that neither democrats nor republicans are even pretending to do anything about they're not even bringing it up this time and i i find that an absolute tragedy myself um these are big important 
issues that need to be talked about and need to be approached and, and really need to be acted on. Um, not incrementally, not, not so we can keep the corporations happily soaking in profits, um, but for the good of the citizens, good of the residents here. Yeah, and there's, and I'm glad you mentioned Bernie Sanders and AOC and the squad and all of them, because that seems to be a trend now where it's, well, since we're stuck with this two-party system, then why not run in the primaries? Why not primary them and try to reform from the inside? Which to me always sound, hey, you know, that's a good idea if that's the all we could do right now. However, you know, there's reasons uh, to still go green as you're doing. For example, and I know you mentioned your, your opponent earlier too, which is good because both of these go right into the next question I, I was going to ask, which is your incumbent who you're running against was a super delegate in 2016. Now, the majority of your district voted for Bernie Sanders oh, in that primary. That made me so mad. It's like, you know, yes. you're supposed to be our representative. It's literally literally in your title for Christ's sake you represent us you know but he doesn't he represents the corporations so we voted for Hillary so he used his super delegate vote for Hillary and, Clinton you know I think that that's a fine example that just shows just how you know corrupt the party has become um because they do not represent the will of the people they're actually very happy to go against the will of the people if it suits the corporate masters and you know nothing real can ever get done under those conditions yeah it makes it like it makes that more of a lost cause to be honest because i was gonna say would you consider that like one example of why you decided to go green instead of going through a primary a democratic primary well, no, I, i've honestly and this makes me a very poor green i understand I have flip-flopped back and forth between the, the parties. Um, ultimately, I'm about supporting the principles more than any one party in particular. Um, if there were some, you know, it, and we've seen around the country, certainly not seen here in second district, primary runs against entrenched corporate interests. Um, I support that. I think, you know, anything, to pressure leverage, you know, against the Democratic Party so, you know, we can budge some kind of change is a good and welcome thing. Um, I feel for me, the Green Party is giving me the, you know, the greatest voice to bring up these issues at this point. Um, I did switch for a while to go and support Bernie in the primary. Sure. Um, but I, I really can't support another corporate candidate who's going to bring things quote unquote back to normal when that normal is a corporate um reality that's you know where even democrats are to the right of where ronald reagan was 20 years ago 30 years ago and he was in a really bad place he did a lot of things to undermine our democracy and i've you know for my entire adult life i kind of came you know i i I think the first election I voted was uh, 1984, ironically enough. Um, and, you know, but I came of adulthood during the Clintons and I just saw them sell away everything the Democratic Party stood for in order to move right and get those votes. And that's, you know, it's called political triangulation. Anybody out there can look it up. If you do not understand political triangulation, you have no comprehension what's going on in politics today. Uh, the Democrats are very much and basically 
the in political triangulation, the Democrats move continuously to the right to capture more Republican votes, shave away votes from the Republican candidates, while, quote unquote, the left has nowhere else to go. Um, we do, and when we're not obedient to that model, we get shamed, we get yelled at, and I've seen this throughout, uh, you know, and I'm seeing Democrats out there putting down leftists who are not rallying behind Biden and rallying behind corporate Democrats automatically. And, you know, I see leftists getting put down more than Republicans by the Democrats. And it's like, okay, you're making it clear you are not the party for us. Um, I'd like to let people know that, first of all, um, the biggest block of voters in 2016 did not vote for Trump. The biggest block of voters did not vote for Hillary Clinton. The biggest block of voters stayed home. I think the American public in a lot of ways knows that, you know, we really know where to turn from either of the major parties because we're getting screwed over. We got screwed over in NAFTA from the Democrats and whoa, surprise, surprise, Hillary Clinton lost, you know, the Rust Belt states who lost all the jobs to NAFTA. Total tone deafness from the Democratic Party to the damage that they've done. Um, they're just in concern about wooing rich elites who can give them money and corporations and Republicans. And to heck with anyone on the left. We are to be shamed and to be gotten into line. Um, a lot of us are no longer getting in line. We're tired of the lies. We're tired of the corporate representation. We're tired of being put aside time after time after time. Um, we're not a bunch of crazies out in the fringe here. These are again, just these three issues, and there are many others, um, I think are very much mainstream bread and butter issues that are so important to constituents, and Democrats are refusing to adequately address them. And if they fail, it's not because we on the left have failed to support them no matter what. Um, I believe it's because they failed us. And exactly. they continue to fail us. And this has been the whole story of my adult lifehood. So I've gotten a little jaded about, you know, all the promises and someday and, you know, incremental this and third way. And, you know, they keep changing the name because it's shady as hell what they're doing and they know it. It's all corporate corruption. Um, all of it is just corporate corruption and excuses for it. And we don't have a government if it's run by the corporation. We have an oligarchy. Um, and the oligarchy is gonna do what the oligarchy needs to keep its power. That's what they always do. Um, we need Democrats or progressives or lefts or green who are gonna challenge that corporate power, not enable it. That's the only way forward to change. And we desperately need drastic radical change in politics and the way things are run. Yeah, that is correct. You know, I'm not a great wealthy person. Uh, Joe Courtney has a good million dollars in his war chest. Um, I might have a thousand. Um, I think that's the kind of candidate people want. Uh, the kind of candidate people need. House of Representatives was always supposed to be, you know, the working folks house, uh, you know, kind of house of commons in the United States. Um, it wasn't supposed to be well off political elites holding a dynastic position for years. Um, 
it was meant to be changed and rotated and average working people. And that's what I am. And I think we need that perspective from the street coming in um, rather than the perspective of the corporations. We, we know what the overlords want, um, more for them and less for us. Time to reverse that equation. What's your take on the COVID-19 pandemic as far as your congressional district and the idea of reopening schools? I've also got grave concerns about education um, and the rush to reopen here in Connecticut. Um, I feel it's being done to serve the business needs and being rushed, you know, to get people back to their, you know, schools so that parents can go to work. Um, I understand women are more impacted by this than men, but I feel like within two to four weeks of our openings here in Eastern Connecticut and around Connecticut, everything is going to be shut down because we're going to start seeing the cases skyrocket. Why do I feel that against, you know, what the quote unquote experts are saying? Well, because this is what's happened every single time they've tried to open schools anywhere in the country, indeed the world. Um, I think it's arrogance to think that it won't happen here and that we're going to end up with, you know, much drastic thing. I hope I'm wrong on that, but I really don't think I am. Um, I feel like we should be trying distance learning for now until we know we've got, you know, all the adequate protection, you know, uh, equipment, et cetera, um, to do the cleaning and disinfection that we have in classes. I've never worked, I've been in schools for 15 years, never seen a school that had all the, you know, equipment that it had that wasn't scrabbling pennies to try and make ends meet. Um, very few, you know, except the wealthiest districts have the staffing needs to be able to meet this distance learning and the smaller groups and everything else to be able to do this efficiently. I think until we're fully staffed and equipped, we really need to be playing it safe instead of playing roulette with um, you know, our children's lives or elders' lives, because you know, every person that gets sick spreads it to you know, 100 others. Um, so it's not just about the people who are being exposed. And right now in Connecticut, apparently the rule is that if a teacher is exposed, they have to keep teaching. Um, so you want to keep somebody with potential for spreading disease in a place where they could spread a lot of disease. Not making sense to me. Um, we need to do better by our teachers, by our students, um, by everybody. We need to be taking this pandemic seriously and providing enough equipment and enough resources to be able to, you know, if and when we reopen, be able to do that safely and sanely so that we don't end up with crazy spikes. Um, I do hope they have a plan for shutting things down if things do spike up. Um, I don't know, we'll see. Some more examples of this narrative that tries to convince everyone how crucially different Republicans and Democrats are from each other there's a lot of Democrats who try to convince everyone that Trump is this madman who can't be trusted with the nuclear launch codes. He's just crazy, unfit. Yet, a lot of them had no problem giving him more bombs when it came to this defense bill of over $700 billion. Quite a few Democrats voted for it. And then when there was a bill to reduce defense spending by a whopping 10%, yeah, there were some Democrats that voted for it, but there were also quite a few who voted against it. And then it even goes into education. 
No Child Left Behind by from the Bush administration. So, of course, that's associated with being a, a Republican policy. And I have yet to meet an educator who likes that policy and even other policies that came after it, all the standardized testing, whether federal level, state level. Yet, you, if you look at voting records and such, you could find a lot of Democrat politicians have voted in favor of those policies. So what do you make of all this? The defense spending, which is just out of control in this country and, and particularly bad in Connecticut, um, money that goes into defense tends to go and die there. Um, you know, you build a bomb, you drop the bomb, you don't get any more money in it. Put money in public education, put it into public transportation, put it into public use, the money gets recirculated within communities again and again and again and helps enrich everybody. Um, so, you know, I think we need to talk about military spending as well as, you know, all the other corporate influences um, tied in with that and their effect on, you know, how come we always have tons and tons of money for bombers we don't even need, you know, while well, school districts don't even have the, you know, Clorox cleanup or whatever they're using to disinfect against COVID. Um, I, I assume they don't have enough equipment. Schools never, ever do. Um, I could go on about education a bit too as well. Um, it's it, Again, it's, it's very much corporate model. It was started with No Child Left Behind from Bush. Mm -hmm. And then um, just basically, you know, Obama's program um, was basically the same as Bush's, but Obama was the carrot or Bush was the stick. Both of them rely heavily on standardized testing um, and tie funding to that testing. Inevitably, more well-off districts do better on that testing. They've got better resources. They've got more teachers, more aides, more everything else to help them do that. Poor districts such as Willimantic get special commissioners because we don't make the grade. They would do things like get rid of bilingual education and say no excuse for poverty and a bunch of other bullshit that basically ignores, you know, 30 years of pedagogy, pedagogy and, you know, social learning, you know, that shows exactly how poverty does affect, you know, learning and so many other outcomes, health outcomes, etc. Um, unless we make uh, you know, a concerted effort to really end poverty. And that means a serious hiking of the minimum wage. Um, it, I would consider, um, I, I thought it was a little too extreme for me to think about, you know, universal income in the past. And I'm actually considering that now, um, divorcing our need to survive from having to go to crappy corporate jobs could actually have a very strong effect on, you know, um, if we don't have to compete just to survive for crumbs, um, employers are going to be forced to do a little bit better offering in the jobs in general, you know, as opposed to a lot of these low paid jobs that so many of us are, are doing and oftentimes doing two or three jobs with no benefits just to make ends meet mm -hmm. and it's no way to live. Um, you know, we, we've all heard about the 1% and the 99% and, you know, all the money, all the tax codes, you know, for the last 30 years have been going to benefit one class, and that's the ultra-rich. Um, 
anybody out there, if you're not already ultra rich, you're not going to be ultra rich. It's not going to happen. Um, we need to be able to take care of ourselves. And you know what? Even if it's just a, a janitor or a secretary or somebody working at a convenience store, if you're working, you deserve to have an income that can pay for you to survive. Um, that's not the case right now. Um, but again, going back to the, you know, I, I kind of strayed there a little bit from the education. Um, what's happened is that, and especially in the, you know, the less wealthy districts, you know, they're starting to cut back on recess and art and other specials and things like that because they're not on the test. And the mandate is to pass the test at all costs. Otherwise, the schools will lose funding. Um, my mind, we need to reverse that exactly. Um, if the school is performing poorly, chances are they need more money. And that's one of the big reasons why. I'm not saying that throwing money at is the only part of the solution, but money is always part of it. And the fact that education has been defunded and tied into these very strict tests um, has really made things worse. I've, I've not met a teacher myself. Um, again, I, I have a teaching degree. Um, I worked in public education. Um, I'm not currently. I've become very discouraged with that field. I think we need some pretty major reforms in there and to center it on teachers, on students, on families, um, not on these predetermined results. And again, bring that power and that control back to helping communities have control over their own school systems. And more local control, I think, always puts more control into the hands of individual people. And um, that just strengthens communities as far as I'm concerned. Um, what we've seen now with the, the standardized testing, I, I don't know, I've just seen a lot of bad outcomes and a lot of stress and, you know, a lot of focus on it and, you know, taking away from project-based learning or anything with, you know, any joy in it or, you know, teach, uh, teachable moments don't fit into the lesson plan when you've got this. I know there's some extraordinary teachers who balance it all out, but you know, um, I, I just, I don't think the trends in education have gone well for any of us at this point, and we need to, to do a lot better by the people. Testing has a good and important purpose. Um, testing can be a very useful diagnostic tools for teachers saying, okay, you know, half my kids aren't getting this lesson about decimal points, so I need to focus on that a little bit better or come up with a better lesson. Or, you know, uh, little Johnny isn't getting it particularly. Maybe we need to give him a little bit of help in particular. So they can be useful tools when they're tied so explicitly and firmly to, you know, high stakes testing with funding um, it becomes a real problem. And it's basically punishing the poor and punishing the districts who have less resources um, by saying, well, you're not making the grades, so we're gonna, you know, we don't give you as much, um, which only exacerbates the problem in my mind. So, you know, some amount of appropriate testing, you know, is valuable. Um, as an educator, I believe in project-based learning, but there's no way to do that for tests. Um, you know, which incorporate both lessons and, you know, needed pedagogy and what's needed to learn as far as writing standards, reading standards, but also allows for a degree of student um, interaction and independence and interest. Um, half the work 
of teachers is just trying to sell kids on the lesson. Um, allowing kids to follow their interests, you know, makes that whole part easier. And then you can tie in learning and say, wow, that's great. You want to know about dinosaurs. Here are some great books about dinosaurs. Let's, you know, look at some of the measurements of it. So you can tie in. I'm elementary ed, so I think in those terms, but, you know, all the way up and down, um, you know, you can tie in all the standards and the things that you want to learn and encourage personal resource in students, um, you know, through project-based learning and still approach all those issues. Um, but it doesn't have to be as narrowly focused on, you know, doing everybody doing the same thing um, or having that same rigid test, but more towards meeting the actual standards. Um, so I would love to be able to see us get back to that. I think it would be a lot more wholesome. It'll be a lot more, uh, again, you know, we could bring in a lot more of the individual, you know, cultures of each town. We're very balkanized here in Connecticut. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's one of the problems we have, and I know in a lot of other states as far as uh, funding goes, because, you know, you either live in a poor district or a well-off district. And I'm here in Willimantic. We're right next to Mansfield. And Willimantic is, is a rather resource-hungry district, and Mansfield is a resource-wealthy district. And, you know, the differences are immense. And, you know, we should be creating educational opportunities that really make good education and good quality education available to everybody, not just those who live off in wealthy places. Um, so I think, unfortunately, going against that balkanized nature of uh, Connecticut, especially with each one of our 169 separate towns and half those towns are divided up in subdivisions also. Um, I think we need to start thinking a little more regionally and a little bit more broadly so we can balance out some of the effects of uh, positive, uh, poverty and income inequality and bring some of those advantages, you know, around more broadly to more people. And right, no, it, it's, and that affects everybody. I feel like we could do, be doing a lot more on the federal level um, to support our local schools and to help balance out those effects and, and ease off, you know, the property taxes, um, you know, so... You know, it's not a greater burden on poorer districts to try and, you know, make ends meet. Um, when, you know, I, 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 it's, it's just appalling how accurately you can predict a person's lifespan, their overall lifetime income, number of other factors just by knowing their zip code. And what that's saying is that we do not have this, you know, fluid, class fluid society that the myth of the U.S., says we do that you know you're very likely to end up you know where your parents were um or these days even less i mean you know i'm i'm gen x and where i think the official first generation were on the whole making less than our parents did uh multimillionaires and billionaires are doing better than ever they're always a big part of the recovery part of obama's recovery part of trump's recovery what about the rest of us What's your take on the stimulus bill? Sorry, I'm just struck at how unwilling we are to help, you know, our own citizens and residents in need, but so eager, you know, to help those, you know, the billionaires. And, you know, the $600 stimulus that everybody got, 
Um, Bernie Sanders gave up his presidential run to bargain for that. Um, he had to shame Democrats and Republicans both, who were both very eager to give, you know, trillions away to the corporations. By the way, the corporations still got trillions. Newsflash, if you got $600 and the corporations got trillions, where's that money coming from? That's coming from your taxes. We're paying more out with that deal than we're getting from it. And it's a big shame. And, you know, we need someone to call the lie to it. Whether through activism or organizing, there's so many ways to fight for change and to do good. What made you go the route of running for office? I'm an activist gone politician. I'm sick and tired of trying to beg politicians for favors that they will never, ever give. Um, and would think we should start taking that change making into our own hands. Um, you know, it, <laughs> examples, you know, in, consider, you know, included, I've been working uh, with the NAACP here in Wyndham Willimantic for no, and other groups for a number of years to try and get police reform. Um, we're starting to get talk about a civilian review board. Again, it's getting bogged up in a lot of the politics and who's on the commission to study it is all going to be chosen by the right people, you know, to keep, you know, the same people in control of everything. Um, but we are gradually making change. A lot of activists here in Willimantic, you know, we made Willimantic a sanctuary city. We made it an anti-fracking city. And we did that um, with a lot of really um, grassroots effort. And we have a good, strong grassroots um, and volunteer energy here in Willimantic. I've been part of that, you know, um, whenever Democrats tend to feel about an issue and they'll, they'll tend to be on the whole a little more conservative and not wanting to change things. If you completely fill town hall, it gets pretty awkward for them to kind of deny you. Um, so I've been parts of that. I've taken leadership within our local, um, Willimantic Green Party. We've gotten, you know, as I said, a number of people elected into uh, local office among, you know, some of the most around the country, you know, we're, I don't know, third or fifth most active, you know, town committee or whatever in the nation, something like that. Um, while I was president of, you know, or chair of the Green Party, I've worked in the Green Party um, state, I've worked with environmental groups, uh, racism groups, LGBTQ, um, I'm trans. I'm a trans activist myself. I've taken a lot of leadership. I've spoken to tens of thousands of people about um, leadership and, and helped promote some uh, legislation through and here. Um, so, you know, I've got a pretty active history of being involved in the process. At this point, I'm just, you know, again, um, tired of begging and begging and begging for favors from politicians who have wide open doors to corporate lobbyists. Um, and I feel like, you know, we should stop asking them for favors. We need to actually challenge their power and get ourselves into power to make those changes because the politicians, I, I, I have become a little jaded over the years with all this because it seems to me that the politicians are more there to slow things down and prevent change than to actually cause it. And that's regardless of party. and. You know, we need a government that's responsive, you know, to the needs of the residents in, in our area. The person who's paying for you to get in office owns you. And the fact that politicians know it. And they, they do a great deal of work trying to convince us that that's not the truth. 
And it is. I'm sorry. The emperor is naked. And it's time for everybody to just open their eyes and see that and come to terms with it. Um, you know, the Democrats were our worst enemies fighting for police reform in this in this town. They were calling us names. They were doing everything. Shortly after the George Floyd incident happened, um, Governor Lamont, who admittedly is a Democrat, um, sent down a bunch of reforms from the state down, um, which our town then promptly adopted um, a lot of the things that are fighting us tooth and nail against, you know, for a couple of years prior, promptly went down. And I'm very glad and very grateful that we have those reforms in place. Um, you know, things such as banning chokeholds and, you know, the five for change or, you know, other suggestions are all in there and they're good, positive, needed reforms. Um, it disturbs me that they fought tooth and nail, you know, the number of black and Hispanic people who were calling in, others who were calling for reforms in this town and, you know, called us names and disparaged us. Um, but we're very happy to take it from, uh, and it just shows where their interest is and it's not in the people, it's in power. And you know, that's an equation we should be reversing in my mind. Um, I feel that we should be doing everything to empower individual people more so than, you know, people who already have it. Um, Governor Lamont is, you know, like a multi-millionaire CEO. I don't know if he's a billionaire. He's really rich. Um, I don't really trust him to have, you know, we, we have, we're one of the wealthiest states in the nation here in Connecticut, but we are also one of the states with the greatest income inequality. And we have vast swaths of poverty. Um, a lot of it certainly is black people and Hispanic people and other minorities. Up here in the second district, we have a lot of white people who are living very poorly as well. And we need a government who's gonna represent everybody else. Um, who's gonna represent working families and poor families as well as, you know, Pfizer and UPO and, you know, Wall Street. And, you know, these are not, you know, I know the, the trope comes out from the Democratic Party. Well, it's a purity test and, you know, no candidate's going to be perfect. And it's like, what a bullshit. These are life and death issues. These are basic, basic issues, which the Democratic Party is repeatedly failing us on. And it's, this is not just nitpicking. This is people's lives. People's lives. And it's be taken seriously and what kind of government do we have if we're not taking people's lives and concerns seriously we don't it's just it's just a sham how would you explain low voter turnout and the millions of americans that both the major parties failed to connect with quality of life for the vast majority of people in the u.s is a disturbing disturbing sign right there. Why do you think those 40% stayed home? Why do you think the majority of voters in 2016 stayed home? It's because neither party offered any real significant change or real meaning, you know, for, for quality of life, for life, for workers, for, you know, people who weren't millionaires and, and corporation owners and runners, you know. <laughs> We're being killed by this economy. We're being killed. Um, 
it's not sustainable. We really need, you know, when we've got Democrats as well as Republicans who for 40 years have been picking at New Deal reforms, that's a problem. Um, when we've got Democrats as well as Republicans with open doors for corporate lobbyists and luncheons and, you know, um, as AOC tweeted out when she went to her congressional instruction classes, it was all about serving the corporate masters. You know, that's a problem. They're not even trying to represent us anymore. Um, but they expect our dying loyalty because if they don't, they're going to fear monger us to death. Um, and again, this is the only positions that they have. Well, look how bad the Republicans are. Yeah, you know what? They are that bad. But if that's your only argument, you lost already. I don't care how bad the Republicans are. I want to know how good you are. What are you going to do for me? And the Democrats, well, just be afraid. If they're just using emotional manipulation to get us to vote for us, it's because they have no platform. And that's, you know, if somebody's manipulating you to get you to vote for them, are you kidding? You know, let's hear about positive changes and, you know, changes that we need. Again, single payer, now, not incremental. We need drastic change on our carbon economy. We need drastic changes on our military. Um, and we need Wall Street out of politics. I mean, they can call it what they want. They can call dollar bills free speech. They can call corporations people. It's corruption. And the fact that it's been legalized, that bribery has been legalized, and that Democrats are embracing it as joyously as Republicans, it's part of the problem. And it's a very big part. And that's something that desperately needs to change. Um, I'm one of those who would like to see those changes and will work and sacrifice and have the courage to stand up to all the powers that be. Um, we will never fear our way and cower our way into change. It's time for us to stand up and to have courage and to say enough is enough. And you know, if Democrats aren't gonna bring change, we need to force it upon them. From thinking about issues and talking about issues into you know, demagoguery, demagoguery and, you know, vote for my team, right or wrong. And, you know, I see, you know, you see all the memes on Facebook from the Democrats and the liberals and, oh, aren't those Trump followers stupid? They're just a bunch of mindless clones and all that. I, I, I you know, I've seen way too many and talk to them heart to heart Democrats who will say, I will vote Democrat no matter what their policies are. And it's like, you are just as bad just as bad you know if you are absolutely you put team loyalty above everything well then that's what you've got you've got team loyalty but you don't have any principles anymore everyone's in a rage about trump but bush did and cheney did so much more damage to this country what happened when obama got elected what happened when we swept the senate and the democrat you know the the house of representatives nothing you know, did they take out the appointments from the Republicans? Did they reverse the tax laws? Did they go after war criminal Dick Cheney? No, 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 they didn't. They continued, you know, the rollback of taxes for the, you know, they, Republicans pay the game and Democrats go along with it, you know, shave millions off with 
race are pennies off what the middle class is paying and say, like, oh, we've saved the middle class. And it's just such a load of crap. You know, it, it just, it's the biggest lie in the freaking world. And every time, and you know, it's, it's socialism for the rich and austerity for the rest of us. And Democrats have been paying, uh, Sorry, I get a little verklempt. Um, Democrats have been, you know, selling us that that bag of goods for as you know as long as Republicans have, and it's, it's done nothing but harm. And if we're going to get the country back, we need courage. We need to stand up for change, and we need to stand up for powers who will not stand up for us with healthcare in this country. And the problem is that it's all profit run. Um, corporations are legally bound, even if they were filled with the, the most philanthropic people in the world, they're one to get profit at all costs. Now, you know, maybe there's an inefficiency here or something they're going to take care of. And but you know what? After that, they still have the mandate for profit. Even at their most efficient, they still have the mandate for profit. So what are they going to do? They're going to cut wages of their workers. They're going to cut services. They're going to increase co-pays, increase our payments. Um, because it's not about bringing the service. It's about making profit. Um, it, it's a policy that you know, any of the things we need to survive should be run for that includes a lot of utilities, basic housing, um, you know, education, healthcare, absolutely. You know, these are baseline. You want to go and make a profit after your iPhone versus your Android, go to town, you know, whatever. Um, you know, if you're making profit off of making my insulin, my epinephrine shoot through the roof, you know, I don't have a million dollar war check chest like uh, Joe Courtney. I don't, you know, have a big, you know, $100,000 or $200,000 a year job. I'm just a poor working slub like everybody else. Um, you know, we need things that help the rest of us, not just the wealthy. And I think a lot of people are becoming disengaged with the political process. Um, because they do cater so much just to the wealthy and not to average citizens. Um, if you don't have much hope for either, then why even bother participating? Uh, I would say do participate. Don't just vote. Get involved in primary challenges. Challenge the power everywhere you can. Get out in the street. Um, action in the street makes changes more than anything else. Um, you know, do your phone calls and do your everything else. Protest at your senators or your Congress people's places. Um, get in there and get active and stay active and give them no rest. Um, it's not just like a one-off every two years, every four years, the pull lever that they tell me to and go home and forget about it. Policy on the whole is I will argue and fight the Democrats to the death. I don't bother fighting Republicans. I'm not going to move an inch. They're never going to do the right thing. Um, Democrats who are failing to be in opposition, um, they need to be held to account. Um, we don't just need a different party than Republicans. We need an opposition party. Democrats are failing to be that. Um, Green are actually in opposition.
We actually have positive future-looking plans to help increase equality for people, increase the quality of environment, um, you know, restore education to the place it used to hold in the U.S. society. Where can people learn more about your campaign, what you have to offer, and even how they can help? Yeah, I do have uh, Cassandra Martineau on Facebook. Um, and I don't, I think it's just Cassandra Martineau, politician. I've run for a few offices here and there. So it's this all purpose, um, which I'm feeding through. Um, CASP for Congress, C-A-S-S for Congress, um, the number four Congress, um, dot rocks would be the website. Um, and that will, you know, lead you to a page that gives a little bit more detail on some of the positions and, you know, some extended things. Um, so that will also have, you know, links for my anecdote for those who wish to donate. Um, I've got lawn signs coming out. Anybody who puts um, the signs will be, have my name on them, but they also have the issues on them. So, you know, if somebody else is running next year, you can cut my name off and still put the sign out for the issue. I hope you support single, uh, single payer. I hope you support a good environment. I hope you some support, you know, Wall, uh, Main Street over Wall Street, regardless of who is running, um, we need to keep the fight up and keep the messages going. Um, so, yeah, castforcongress.rocks. I want to check me out. Um, I'd appreciate it. Any contribution will be well used to help spread the message um, and talk about the issues that neither other party is talking about, but which greatly affect our lives. Excellent. Well, uh, Cassandra, thank you for your time and good luck in November. Thanks so much. Thank you for your time.